Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another episode. I'm your host, Aaron Osborne. We are back for another year of chatting about records. Uh, this episode, my guest is Ryan from the Meep Meep podcast. Uh, for those who haven't heard of it, go look up Meep Meep podcast. It is fucking awesome. Ryan is going through all of the Roadrunner catalog Roadrunner Records catalog from the 90s on um, and has done some awesome episodes with people from bands, uh, people who've worked on the records, fans of the records, and it's great. Um, Roadrunner Records had a huge impact on my metal listening and the metal scene as a whole, Um, so it's a really cool thing that he's doing. And uh, my personal recommendation would be to go listen to the Suffocation episodes if you like Suffocation because they're fucking rad. Anyway, Ryan and I talked about Until the End by Kitty. I have not talked about a Kitty record on here. And to be honest, I haven't even really heard or thought about Kitty in many years. Uh, Like a lot of people, they were a big part of, you know, the new metal coming up in school and things like that. So it was cool to talk about a record that's a bit further away from that stuff and a record that Ryan really likes and one that I thought was, you know, really interesting to chat about. So... It was really cool to talk about that and how Ryan's going with the podcast and a bunch of other stuff. Um, So please enjoy episode 107 of the Oblivious Maximus podcast with Ryan from the Meep Meep podcast. Fucking brutal. Ryan, thank you for doing the podcast with me. Yeah, man, it's a lot of fun. Well, not only that, but I love I love doing a couple things. One, I love not doing people's podcasts. <laughs> so I like that I'm doing yours so all the people that I've told no to can see that I did one and that I'm not just against doing them. I just they can take it personally. <laughs> and uh and two, I love Australians. So it's hey, a, a I, twofer for me. I am one, so that works out well for you. Right, right. By default, I like you more than most people. Yeah, good. Okay, well, I, I'm glad that we've we've established a, you know, a respect for me at the start and a lack of respect for the rest of the, you know, <laughs> international podcasting community. <laughs> um, all right. So for this chat, you picked "Until the End" by Kitty. Yeah. So, what is your knowledge of or opinion of Kitty before I picked this album? Um. Well, I think, I, I presume, much like yourself, I grew up deep in the throes of nu metal. Um, so, uh, my only, I guess my knowledge of Kitty as a band was that they were a nu metal band. And I definitely had spit and liked it a lot when I was a kid. Um, but I think the, like, this era of the band was kind of, I was like, they'd lost me by this point because they weren't, it wasn't as new metal or like, or it essentially really isn't new metal, I guess, you know? Um, and I think I kind of, I don't know if I stopped actively listening to them or by that point I was like over new metal kind of thing, you know, like I'd, I'd graduated to thrash bands or death metal bands or whatever by that point. So had you heard this album before I yes, forced I ha- it upon you? I, ha- I have heard it, and I definitely have heard um, the the what's the song the into the, into the darkness the big you know the video song. 
I definitely right. heard that. But that, and yeah, like I think that that was sort of um, that was what I associated this record with, which is really, I mean, the big note that I have about that song is that like it's kind of the weirdest jarring point on the record like none of the rest of the record sounds like that song <laughs> yeah it's interesting because this is my favorite kitty record which is why i picked uh, it for us to talk about and the first song that i heard from it was that because that was the single like mm. you mentioned in the video for it and i was not into that song at yeah. all so i went to go see them on the tour for this album it was actually a really sick tour it was a uh, candiria mm-hmm. 36 crazy fists and kitty yeah and so uh, they played almost exclusively songs from this album and then ended with the song Spit as if yeah. to be defiant because they were trying to get away from that uh, yeah, yeah. that era. And I just remember thinking like, yo, these songs are incredible. Like, the, what are they doing mm. misleading me with <laughs> Into yeah. the Darkness? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I can definitely understand that opinion of it because now in retrospect and listening to the album this week more because we were going to talk about it, that song doesn't uh, upset me as much as it did back then. But when I first heard it, I was definitely like, this is not that great. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing that's weird, too, is that like in when you picked it, I was like, I looked through the track listing first to go like, I've definitely heard the record when, you know, but then I was like, oh, let me look through the track listing and see if there's anything that I recognize. And I was like, oh, that's that. That's the very you know, clean vocal heavy song that I remembered the music video for. So I just put the video on and I was listening to it and I was like, it, it was kind of jarring watching it again, thinking of the, thinking of like what I did like about them when I was a kid. But then when I listened to the record, I think the biggest thing that I was thinking about when it was going is like, it is strange in the context of the record. But then when I listened to it, when the record was playing, I like like I liked it more than just watching the video like standalone on its own. So maybe in the maybe while it is jarring in the context of the record, it kind of makes sense being on the record. But like, yeah, I don't know. It, it was it, it's a funny it's a funny thing. Like, and I think you know, obviously, think yourself as well. Like, I think a lot about records while I'm listening to them, and I think a lot about like why you would make that decision. And I guess from playing in bands myself and stuff, like it's. It's interesting thinking about that stuff, but yeah, for me, I think my introduction to this band and then like the, I guess the knowledge I had of the band as a whole was more the new metal stuff. And then this record takes, you know, I mean, for a lot of it, it's like far more like metalcore almost, or like, you know, sort of heading towards what the, you know, 2000s hard- hardcore metalcore bands were doing, which is very interesting. And I suppose, I guess, has something to do as well with how young they were when they did spit. And like, this is probably where they're, you know, as they were getting older, that was the sort of stuff they were progressing in their interests as well. Right, right. Well, yeah. And it's also not too, too far off from Oracle, despite the fact that when I think of it, they're completely different. But like you said, Spit comes out and is even written when they're so young, they're teenagers. So by the time this third record comes out, I think that no, I think I'm sure deliberately they were like, we got to sound nothing like that because we're so sick of being yeah, yeah. the spit band. Yeah. And I got to imagine that's a little frustrating for them as far as their legacy goes, because I think that's what everyone remembers them for. And I understand they're probably just grateful that people remember them at all. So I'm not trying to, you know, pity them too much for having <laughs> this 20 uh, year old legacy. But, you know, this album <clears throat> is so good to me. And I like uh, I like 
the In the Black album they put out a couple years yep. after this as well, and I failed you. The one right after this, Funeral for Yesterday, I have the least relationship with. Sure. Because that was even... That song, Funeral for Yesterday, is even cleaner singing yeah, than yeah. Into the Darkness. But uh, what, And actually, I was thinking about that this week. I probably need to revisit that because I probably couldn't tell you another song on that record despite being intimately in love with all the other Yeah, albums. yeah, sure. Well, I mean, it's, it's, but, it's a weird thing with this band too because I think... I think certainly the like I don't know and maybe that maybe they don't feel this way but like I guess yeah if if someone just says like oh you know the band Kitty immediately in my head goes yeah the new metal band and then like but if you look at like the makeup of their catalog new metal is only like a really small portion of it I suppose but I guess right being that that was such a successful introduction that's where it gets associated with I suppose yeah, and I think just the the time and place of it too. Like I think about a lot, you know, with um doing the Roadrunner catalog with Glassjaw, right? Mm -hmm. Glassjaw, pretty much zero percent new metal, but yeah. often associated with it because it's a band that existed in the year two thousand. It was on Roadrunner Records, so they kind of produced by Rods Robinson. So they have all these kind of attributes that might be with a new metal band. Yeah, uh, despite not having that in their music whatsoever. So, like you said, I mean. Spit, I think it would be hard to say, isn't a new yeah. metal album. But everything after that pretty much is just metal or even at the, the worst metal core, like you mentioned. So I, I definitely don't disagree. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it. I think a big thing for me with the record is like, I mean, it starts with like a, you know, if, if you're, you know, if you put this record on, like the first riff that comes in is like a more like doomyish almost kind of like more associated with like the harder metal stuff and then it goes like right off the bat into like you know syncopated like medical metalcore styled riffing or death metal style riffing and then like you know hard screaming essentially so it's like if it, again if you were to say to someone like this is a new metal band and then that's how the record starts like that's not a new metal band <laughs> like that's not a <laughs> that's not how a new metal band starts a record but i mean and i think that's another thing that's quite interesting interesting to me about this record and i guess the makeup and the dynamic of the structure of songs and where she uses the clean singing and stuff like that like it's i don't know if it, again like surely at the time when i was a kid when i was hearing these bands for the first time like new metal certainly at least screaming isn't so heavily featured in new metal bands generally speaking it's the screaming is that if anything is only just like an accent to a record whereas like by the point that this band gets to they're like screaming is most of this record and the singing is just the accent really other than the couple big sort of chorusy singles i suppose yeah yeah i i agree i think people forget a lot that new metal First of all, I want to make sure that everyone's clear that new metal is the most important form of music in my life. So oh, yeah. everything I'm about to say is with nothing but the utmost respect. But new metal was very much like uh, pop music with yeah. kind of heavy guitars. So, yeah, what you're saying about screaming, I mean, there were accents on it. But if if you were going to make a radio single, much like the radio single on this album, yeah, yeah. you put you mainly put singing on it. But and Morgan's scream on here, like on the opening track, looks so pretty, mm. is so like intense yeah. and visceral. So it's uh it really is so like metallic and like you said, even has like death metal parts. I can see the metalcore aspects, especially especially there's a song called uh, Red Flag that's like a straight up like to me sounds like a metalcore song. Yeah. Speaking of metalcore though, were you ever into the band until the end? Yeah. 
So I don't know if you know this, but around the time that this album was going to come out, they were going to name their record Kitty. Really? To like play off the fact that Kitty named their record until the end. Wow. Uh, they ended up not going through with it, but and the album they put out not only had a corny title, but was pretty whack. It was like the the bound lead the it was like the only until the end record without Pete Kowalski on it. Yeah. But anyway, they originally were going to call their record Kitty. And I thought that was sick and funny. And then they didn't uh, follow through with it. Why would you not do that? That's a great idea. <laughs> I should have just done it. <laughs> well, Dog Eat Dog, who I covered on my show, they named their album Warrant because Warrant put out an album called Dog Eat Dog. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's sick. That's funny. That. Yeah. I love that idea. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think, Red Flags, a song that I made a note of as well. And I think the the note that I made, well, the note that I made for that is that, you know, it's kind of surprising to me that that song wasn't like a bigger song in the landscape of this band, I suppose. I mean, maybe maybe it is, not that I'm, you know, you're more a fan than I am, but like uh, that song, that song to me seems like, you know, a really appropriate song to do a single or a video for. Like it has a really good chorus in it and... It, it has a bit more of the dynamic, but I guess I suppose when they're, you know, I presumably when it's either the management or the label that's working with them on the sales aspect of this record, you got to pick the song that's, you know, going to get you the most attention, which would be the one that has mainly clean singing, I suppose. But to me, that song, that song's like a great candidate. May And maybe if like, if it was later down the line in, in you know, years later but this record came out maybe that would be more a candidate now that you know some of the bands that do release music uh you know like i would say like in the scope of how you release music like this now screaming is not something to be you know averted or whatever like now screaming is so much more popularly within heavy music um than it was at the time maybe yeah, I, I always thought that the song Career Suicide should have been the single because mm -hmm. it has a nice little mix of the yeah. it's heavy, it's metal, but it has the sung chorus. But um, my what is your favorite song on the album? That's what I need to know. I mean, I think I think either Red Flag or um, Dreams in Dreams, rather. Like, I think those two were the ones just because it like it flows a little bit more like that, I think. See, my favorites are by far. OK, the opening track. Looks yep. so pretty, super sick. Yep. But then, sugar. Oh uh, yeah, that, that's that's great. P word sugar, as it's yeah. actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is that song. When I first heard that song, I used to send that song to people and try to trick them into liking Kitty. I would tell them it was like through the eyes of the dead or like a metal band that was from around here. Sure. Um, to see if they would like get them to like it. And then afterwards, almost like I kind of do with veganism now, I'll be like, yeah, this is macaroni and cheese. Don't worry. And then after <laughs> they like it, I'm like, oh, I tricked you. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> because that song is like pretty undeniable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I actually remember seeing them on, <laughs> on tour with the Insane Clown Posse. Great. And they played that. that song and I just clocked a dude, just like blinded <laughs> by the rage and the euphoria of the song. And uh, he was psyched. He was psyched to be involved in my... My passion. Which, was he wearing makeup? Like, was there any? Well, I'm a, I, I am a, definitely not to bury myself here, but definitely a juggler. Although, you know, Jamie Madrox from Twisted has been on the show before. So maybe it's not a, a secret that I'm <laughs> into funny. ICP. But uh, and, you know, they also, they often have metal bands that I mean, Biohazard, I saw open for ICP. Yeah. Cold Chamber, I saw open for ICPs. So they often have a, a cool um, 
set of metal bands. But um, but this guy in particular, I actually remember was wearing an amazing Jekyll Brothers hockey jersey. So oh, love it. Um, but I, no, you know what? There's not really as much face paint at these sh- at these shows as there as there should be, quite frankly. Right. There well, should be a booth outside when you walk up that someone just like before you're admitted in, they just paint you up. It's really funny because I like I don't I mean, I remember when I was very young. Oh, well, not very young, but like in school, there was always a dude that hung around near our school to go to like, a, I think like a, you know, like a land games, computer game cafe who was <laughs> always like head to toe ICP gear like. And he like I, the biggest thing that I remember about him was when I was in like s- starting in school, he was massive. Like he was so tall and he had a full like matrix style trench coat over top of like like a hockey jersey or some brightly colored, you know, ICP gear. And then as I got older, he was obviously, you know, maybe he was like 18 at that point. And as I went through school and became quite a big person myself, I was like, oh, this guy isn't that big. <laughs> like I just got, but I just remember like my first thing with ICP as a, as a kid was, oh, it's this massive matrix looking guy with hyper colorful things <laughs> underneath it. But it's really, the thing with ICP in Australia is I think there's a real, um, there's like a real interest in it because I don't know, but I'm fairly certain they've never been here. And I think because of that, they have, the like the fan base that here is even more like cultish i think than it would be in america because they don't have the exposure to it they don't have an opportunity to engage with it they like i'm sure the the peer groups that are into that music are probably so hyper into it because there's probably so few of them here um but it, it was and then particularly where i'm from is like you know canberra which is the capital in australia but it's a very small place i guess comparatively it's like being from dc like it's a tiny place within another state kind of thing and it's right but like for me growing up in high school that there was a guy that i saw like almost like multiple times a week wearing icp stuff is like that's so specific that there was someone there (laughs) that was that into it um but i mean something i think something that i've seen with that band too is like uh group i suppose they they have like spent a lot of time devoting to bringing in like pretty like legit metal bands into their like into that the huge scene they've developed so it's not a surprise that like a band like this would be a part of that as well yeah did like a full tour yeah. i mean and in 99 the jekyll brothers tour it was a full tour of biohazard opening for them you know yeah, what i mean and biohazard wild. aren't just like a metal band they're like you know like borderline like thugs you know yeah, yeah I mean? absolutely like, like uh, very nice guys and even now um there's this band called power flow the billy from biohazards mm-hmm. in and send dog from cypress hill and they play with icp so it, it is interesting that in the music community i feel like over the last 20 years or so icp has been more respected you know like yeah. where bands want to go on tour with them They're like oh we can get that fan base too to yeah develop themselves to us well i think you i mean even if you think it's funny or you want to tease it or whatever at the end of the day like if being in a band like all you actually want is for people to like your music (laughs) and if there's like an opportunity for a huge segment of society to listen to you like why would you like why would you not take that opportunity i mean i think comparatively like it, it you know it's come in waves through all of like metal i suppose but i mean even like 
admittedly like my favorite band i hate god like those guys you know have talked have talked to me at length and have talked in press at length about how like when they first got offered a tour with pantera they're like you know i guess like punk hardcore underground people that liked i hate god were like you know thought this was the dumbest thing ever and they were kind of sellouts for doing a tour with pantera but then talking to those guys they're like well they're our friends but also like why would we turn down a tour opening for like the biggest metal band of that time like why would we say no to that you know yeah isn't it kind of funny how like the whole concept of being like a sellout or whatever doesn't really exist anymore but back when we were younger that was like a big thing yeah if a band did something that might grow their fan base they were <laughs> looked down upon it was something to I believe, seriously uh, worry about <laughs> i hate god are our carolina boys right north carolina no they're from from new orleans oh who am i thinking of crowbar no corrosion corrosion or conformity corrosion of conformity thank you but they're all one of that's all intertwined they're all the same band they're right all, they're all yeah, talking yeah. about the same they're all members of down yes they are in, truly <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I, I think um another an, i mean another big thing with that sort of scene at least at the moment too is that like this year or like, 2020 it came out that icp were like some of the most well thought out responses to like covid like they were like no, we're not doing this festival because, like, we want to make sure our people are safe. And, like, they they responded. And it, it was one of those things. It was, like, I remember seeing somewhere on the internet, like, Im- imagine a time in history where ICP are giving a better response to a pandemic than the president of the country that they reside within. <laughs> like, Yeah, they randomly have these little nuggets of wisdom. I actually spent Halloween at Violent J's house. So, like, they're- there you go. They're the they're the homies, but uh, they definitely will just randomly like. I mean, and they're also genuinely insane people. Sure. But like you know, they had the thing earlier this year, to, not this year, but to twenty twenty, where they're like, "Hey, this guy uh, is like abusing uh, and sexually harassing children. We should beat the hell out of him." <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> yeah. um, they had a uh, you know the they were basically like had like a socialist political out view mm. out view that's not the right term but you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um yeah they just will randomly like say and do things now i and it's interesting too just to see them grow as people as adults because you know they didn't always have such not that these are even super thoughtful <laughs> things that they didn't always have that that insight and it's cool to see them want to get better as people at, you know because they're it, it's interesting with them and twist and things like that as i forget that they're you know they're older men, even though I like have been going to see them for decades mm. at this point, probably because they're in makeup 90% of the time. <laughs> you don't recognize. I forget that they're like, you know, they're old men, like they're <laughs> like guys that that are not uh, youthful anymore. So in my country, I don't know about yours, but older people are pretty set in their ways. They're not trying oh, yeah. to grow and, and change as people. So um, it's cool to see anybody of that age be like, you know what? I think that we can improve our, our thought processes. I mean that's great, and I lo- I love that that's I love that that's the result there. <laughs> you know? Kitty, on the other hand, back uh, to Kitty. Yes, um, have uh, have aged well as well, or they did at this time. You know, they really uh, incorporated, like I said, uh, into the that metalcore scene. They did a lot of tours with metalcore bands. Mm. In fact, one tour I saw with Kitty, the opening band, I think it was a four or five band show. The first band was a band called Bring Me the Horizon. There you go. <laughs> who went on to be like the biggest band in the world. But it was yeah. Bring Me the Horizon, It Dies Today, 
Walls of Jericho and Kitty, I think, yeah. was the tour. And they toured with uh, Dead to Fall. I mean, they were really kind of, uh, and it, you know, they don't really get enough credit for putting those bands on a bigger platform as well, similar to how ICP mm. uh, did with other bands and stuff like that, too. They, you know, took a band, a young band, first time in the US, I'm pretty sure, Bring Me the Horizon, and we're like, hey, we're going to bring you on tour. I think that that's something that they don't get enough credit for for really putting these bands uh, in front of a bigger audience. Yeah, it's wild. And I think the other thing, too, is it's really cool, particularly with a band like this. I mean, and certainly like, you know, Sugar, like that song is, I mean, it's like front to back a metalcore song, basically. Right. You know, like it's got it's got like pit riffs the whole way through and the end <laughs> part of the song is just a breakdown, like a, a 2000s metalcore breakdown. I mean, like, I mean, even listen, listening to that when, you know, when that came on, I was like, oh, this is like. This is what every band sounded like at, at you know, youth center shows for, for like <laughs> yeah. five years is this part of this song. <laughs> like, Yeah, your vocal VFW hall definitely had this song <laughs> playing at some point. Yeah. But like, and so like, I mean, it's, that's cool too, particularly with, I mean, again, I hate going back to it, but the fact that like Spit was like a really, you know, quite a, sold quite well compared, you know, as like a record. So, it, I mean, it's, it's cool when a band grows and develops obviously as the people got older but then as they got older they you know they was they still used whatever um you know influence they have to help usher other people through because and again i I don't know if this is a you know this isn't a true comment to make but certainly like those the really big new metal bands at least of the of the era didn't seem to do that too much as an outside as like an outside view particularly someone from australia you know like whenever i saw those bands it was here as part of a big festival package or it was a part of um you know like a big put together tour that i'm sure the band probably actually had nothing to do with but it was just (laughs) you know three enormous new metal bands would tour together but like you know to me like a lot of those bands now seem to be doing that like years and years later but you know, like, I guess even like, you know, bands like Code Orange doing tours with Slipknot and things like that, like that, that sort of, you know, that that's crazy now comparatively to, I think maybe at the time, certainly like even your bands like Korn, like they were trying to tour with like Ice Cube and like, you know, they were trying to do like, they were probably still trying to leverage themselves rather than using the power that they had to bring other stuff, other stuff up without uh, like from underneath them. Was that, is that like, is that an incorrect assumption or is that something that maybe I just wasn't able to see? Uh, I wouldn't say as a whole, it's an incorrect assumption. Corn specifically, it's funny you mentioned, because I think they were one of the few that did mix okay. it up a lot. Uh, and probably because they got that from, you know, one of the first US tours, Corn got taken on was Sick of It All. Yeah. Sick of It All took Corn out on tour. And then Corn would take out bands like, um, man, I, I, I'm, I'm blanking right now, but I know they did a tour with Orange Nine Millimeter. Yeah, right. and this is early on. And then you know, like you said, uh, Ice Cube. I mean, the Family Values tour was them taking out smaller, younger bands. Yeah, that's like true. a young Incubus and things like that. But yeah. to your point, Corn is an anomaly in this. Yeah, in this uh, grand scheme of things, I would say some of the veteran bands that kind of got assimilated into the new metal scene, like a Machine Head or a Fear mm. Factory, they probably did it, but. Uh, but yeah, you know, Spineshank wasn't out trying to see who they could uh, help yeah. out or, you know, bring in a From Zero along with them or whatever. Um, but Kitty, you know, they, I could, I feel like I could name like a dozen 
bands that they brought along with them that that probably wouldn't have gotten to be in front of such a big audience because they were so well known because people forget it doesn't seem like you do but if you had a song that was on the radio or on MTV mm. in the early 2000s you can tour off that for the rest of your life mm. kitty if they wanted to yeah. next year could do a spit tour and it would be well attended you know what i mean um and we're kind of forgetting that in between spit and this record they have oracle which i think is arguably their most uh, commercially successful album because yeah. it had what i always wanted it had that uh, pink floyd cover and that was like on trl which was like um a top 10 yeah, video. yeah a, a big show right right so i mean that's you know millions of people watching every day seeing them on that so not to say that spit you know of course had brackish and charlotte but i would say you know i don't have the numbers in front of me but i would guess that oracle sold yeah. more than spit did I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's just really interesting for me as well. Like, you know, when, so, I mean, b before I, before I, I guess I was deeply getting into this stuff, I, I lived, I lived in China for a long time when I was a child and all the TV that we had access to when I was over there was either entirely Chinese TV or entirely American TV. And I went to an American school when I was there. So my you know actual like elementary school upbringing was all essentially through a weird like bastardized american culture with but in china but i was australian so it was very bizarre but like so all the exposure like the exposure i had to music when i started getting into it real and getting like really really into it was all through mtv and that's much different to people in australia because mtv wasn't really a thing here until I don't know, until like pay TV became a real popular thing in Australia, which wasn't at my era. It was sort of after me. But I mean, when when I was a kid overseas, like that's how I got into new metal. Essentially, I loved hip hop when I was a kid and I got into hip hop through pop music, essentially, and then got into new metal through hip hop. Like I got into it because I was like, oh, this is this is on TV, it's popular, but also my parents got divorced, so I fucking hate the world now, so I need something to <laughs> to help me hate the world, you know? And, like, the, and a lot what of- years are the- um, Like, the early, like, late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, I moved back to Australia in 2000, so late, late oh, okay. 90s. Um, but, you know, like, seeing all these bands on- I, and like I don't even know if it was Headbangers Ball what I was seeing, but or if there was just like a point in the, you know it was like midnight to one a.m. You got to watch they'd cram all the metal music videos in at that time, and like that it know, was called Return of the Rock is what they called it. Okay, there you go. There was a CD even well, a couple CD compilations. Uh, Return of the Rock and Brackish was on the first one, and they would have these really like sexualized devil women oh, yeah. with huge huge rack on the cover <laughs> and uh seems about right and yeah and actually wrote on a records put out the cd compilations of it but um it was kind of like a uh headbangers ball in fact i think maybe ricky rackman even hosted it i know that um jamie josta hosted a version of headbangers ball a few years after the time frame you're talking about yeah but i've mainly remember to come full circle there being an episode of Return of the Rock, and I forget who the host was. I do think it was Ricky Rackman, though. And they were interviewing Crazy Town, and Crazy Town was talking about how they were listening to The Great Malenko by the Insane Clown Posse. Okay. That's, like, My man. It's, yeah, I mean, it, I think that, 
I think that's something as well that's like so missed from how you find and how you interpret and how you see music in the current landscape. Like, um, you know, I, like a lot of people talk, I mean, older people than me, but talk about like tape trading and talk about, you know, being exposed to things through th- uh, seeing things at shows. Whereas, I mean, at the time when I was, you know, I was actually a child, like the way that I could see the stuff that I liked at the time in the environment that I lived within was watching TV. So like, that's, that's how I got into a lot of it. And then when I moved to Australia, then it was, you know, that's when I, you know, was, you know, in high school. And then that's when I started playing in bands more seriously and trying to play music with people and then started going to shows. And then obviously from there, it spirals into, you know, everything else that you do as an adult. But like, I think for me, it's really interesting thinking about how like some music like this now, what like wh- why it's not written the way it's written now, produced like you mentioned before, like when there was such a big money push behind bands of this sort of era that were, you know, making music videos, as you said, and, like you got all you needed was one good music video to then be like to skyrocket you, but also potentially give you a career for, you know, the, the rest of your life is all you needed was one good song in a music video. And like, that's, that's completely different now. Like, I don't know if that exists in the same, anywhere near the same manner as it did back then. I don't think you can have a song like that. So, you know, a good example is people um, talked about a lot last year when, the guy from Trapped was going off and saying crazy things, not defending any of the asinine stuff he was saying, but people would be like, oh, I can't believe, you know, Trapped are still a band. But yeah, everyone on planet Earth knows the song Headstrong. Yeah. So, yes, they'll be a band as long as they want to be a band because they can have people, you know, the guy that works down the street at the gas station knows Headstrong. He doesn't <laughs> yeah. know Kill Switch Engage songs that, you yeah. know. So that I don't think exists. I don't think a hit of that magnitude not that Headstrong is some incredible song. It is, but that's not what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can't have an omnipresent hit like that because radio doesn't really exist like it did. Video yeah. doesn't really exist like it did. You're not going to have a band have a hit like Kitty even had with Brackish or What I Always Wanted mm. because you don't have that constant machine behind it. Uh, you mentioned also, too, with the production and going full circle with the corn aspect, Steve Thompson is pr- who produced until the end, which is interesting to me because of how far they went away from the new metal sound. But Steve Thompson actually won the Grammy for producing Follow the Leader by Korn. So yeah, right. kind of has this like new metal pedigree, but also is diverse enough to be able to bring out these metal mm. aspects of the band. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, and there's even sort so like a lot about the, re- even like the recording of this record that is far is far more in line with, I guess, the what a lot of the songs sound like, I suppose, which I guess isn't surprising. But, like, the guitars on this record are, like, really, really upfront. Like, they're very upfront and really, like, abrasive sounding, um, which certainly is, like, a, re- a really, like, different contrast to having lots of clean singing. So, like, like, usually within that landscape, you'd bring that back a bit so that the vocals can be you know, leading, I suppose. And that that's the, the point of them being the way they are. But because I guess because of like the, the whole scope of this record as a whole, there's a lot more of that, like pretty, you know, heavy metal riffing is happening in there. And it's, it's interesting that the way that that's sort of balanced out together. So, I mean, it's, 
because yeah, I mean, the guitars on this record seem to be like like a real key focus of the music is the is the riffing on this record. Yeah, and I also think that the bass on this album is really interesting because there's so many weird parts where like uh, she's playing on the the higher yeah. notes where it almost has like a flange on it. You know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about? Yeah, and it happens so often that it's it can't be. It's almost like the Metallica snare where sure. not that it sounds terrible, but like they have to know that that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be a, del- a deliberate choice, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think it's I mean, obviously, I- I've not spoken to anyone from the band about about the record. But like there are a lot of things within this that like seem like interesting choices made that are certainly far different to, you know, where they came from as a band and then. Uh, even more different to maybe what some of the bands that sound more like this would do and the choices that they would make. Like, it's it's quite an interesting, I guess, dynamic, I suppose, in terms of what the record sounds like as a whole. Well, my last question for you about this album is, what do you think about this cover? What's going on with this? I mean, it is truly interesting, I would say. <laughs> when I, So, the thing about this, when you sent the picture to me, you're like, this is the record that I want to do. I was like, immediately in my head, I was like, I know I could associate the cover with the single, you know, for some reason, I guess, because I know the single, but like, I mean, is it a drowning angel? Is that what's happening? So, what it is, I asked Morgan about this. It's supposed to be kind of like the Salem witch trial test. So, yes, it is a drowning angel okay. to answer your question. Good. But it's supposed to be like, you know, back in the day, they would have, I don't know if you're familiar with it because you live a fo- long way away from Salem, but Salem, Massachusetts would have this thing with with women where they would throw them into uh, the water to test if they were a witch. And if they drowned, then they weren't a witch, but they <laughs> yeah. were dead. Yeah. And if they didn't drown, <laughs> then they, yep. they were a witch and then they'd kill them. So... Uh, <laughs> So that's the kind of like damned if you do, damned if you don't aspect mm-hmm. of this cover, I guess. Um, it's still very like, like really driving this metallic point home of the oh, song, yeah. right? Big time. And, Scary. And even like the even like the font used for the album title as well is like, you know, I, I guess I guess when you and also like when you compare that to some of their other records, it's I mean, so, I mean certainly spit, which is just a a promo photo with a word down the bottom of it. But like that, that's like, you know, complete more metal, I guess, focused, I suppose. Yeah. And then Oracle has what, like, I guess is like a mouth or something. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It's got that weird, like flaming mouth. I don't, it's very, (laughs) very minimalist though. I would say this has like this thing that uh, it's scary. That's all I can say about it. It scares me. I'm afraid. I, I agree. Well, let's get you away from this moment of fear. Um, and so I guess, uh, obviously, well, I mean, the, you're doing a podcast, great background there, the light we can see in the background, meet me, but for anyone who hasn't heard it, it's fucking awesome because you're going through Roadrunner stuff and Roadrunner to me was like, like a lot of people in, I guess the, the similar age group was like the biggest introduction and way to ease through like almost every genre of metal (laughs) and i think like probably why i like most of what i like is because the way we did it here at least was you got a roadrunner catalog and you just picked things out of a catalog and then send it to you (laughs) and that's what i did (laughs) when i was a kid so 
But what what yeah. got you started on the on doing that podcast? Well, I uh, similar to you, it sounds like I I just had so many Roadrunner albums. That was definitely you know I hear uh, older people or I guess even people my age that kind of associate certain record labels like maybe a, a Revelation Records or mm-hmm. even a Victory Records, and they're like, oh, you know, I if that label put it out, then I knew it was going to be good. Well, Roadrunner was kind of my thing. You know, I got into it at the height of. I shouldn't say at the height of, but definitely at the the apex of of new metal in like '97, probably, yeah. and then started going backwards because '97 had Cold Chamber, but it also has the more things change by Machine Head, which was a big deal for me at the time. And you know, at the time, I didn't know that they were different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's the same sound. So there's so many podcasts about new metal specifically, and they're all very, very bad. And not only are they bad. But they talk about it with such like disrespect. And I don't know if they even realize it, but it's never anybody that you listen to and think like, oh, this person actually was a fan of it. It's almost like they're they think it's funny. I don't yeah, know. Teasing it or something. But, yeah. And it, it was such an important thing for me. And Roadrunner, like you said, kind of encompassed all of that. And you can go through the history of the label and see kind of the history of metal music yeah and new metal is a big part of that so i started with uh chaos ad mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons one because i think chaos ad <laughs> changes music yeah, afterwards 100 uh and two because that's kind of what i remember you know I, of course roadrunner exists before that but i don't really have a whole lot of uh relationship or intimacy with those albums i've gone back and listened to some of them since then of course uh and before doing this podcast but you know I remember when Cold Chamber came out. I remember when uh, yeah. the Burning Red came out. I don't have that that kind of attachment to uh, I don't know Arise by Sepultura sure, yeah, or yeah. something like that. So uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of how it started, and it's just been a whole lot of fun, man. I'm I'm uh, I'm I almost said I'm blessed, but <laughs> I don't know if that's the way I talk. <laughs> but I'm gonna stick with it and say I'm blessed that uh, Roadrunner. I'm fortunate that Roadrunner has this diverse catalog, though, because the show never gets boring for me. You know, one week yeah. I'm doing uh, death metal with suffocation, and the next week I have uh, somebody from Wilco on the yeah. show talking about like a country record. So it's it's a lot of fun, um, and I really enjoy doing it. And I get to talk to people that I admire and just kind of nerd out about it. Yeah, it's sick. I mean, like obviously I mentioned sort of I think before we started recording, but like I love suffocation so listening to those two the two episodes you did with them talking about those records and arguably like two two very very different records in the scope of their career one that is like critically panned and i guess even the band hates it or hates the, the recording of it at least and then one that is like arguably their best record i suppose like the the difference between those two things it was you know it's sick and then even like i guess for me too like the the um the episode you did with um about the buzz oven records uh, like uh, about saw is like again for me that's that's such a like tied in with loving i hate god and loving all those bands like that's a record to me that people got to hear things about that record because the, the record's wild and like the the story of that band is crazy as well so it's it's sick hearing someone talk about that basically yeah that was one of my favorite ones to do which is funny because it's so early on but that was such a eye-opening interview i feel like i learned yeah. more about that band than i did in any other interview because you know a lot of the times almost like 
probably to my detriment. I feel like I'm there telling the band about themselves. Like, let me tell you about this record. And they're like, yeah, that happened. But with that one, I was, I had so many questions and, uh, and that's another cool thing about the show too, is that I get to kind of tell people about these records because it sounds like you kind of understand that maybe that sore album isn't, you know, well known, but I feel like people after you hear, an hour of a guy telling you about, yeah. you know, these heroin overdoses or whatever you want to know what the music was they were creating in between these crazy times. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I mean, and d- definitely with like both those, the episodes that I'm talking about, like the second the episode finished, like I just went and listened to the record to like, to hear the, th- you know, to hear the thing. So, so that, that's like, and I think that's, that's the coolest part about doing stuff like this for me is like, is one talking to people that are interested in things that, you know, uh, can expose i I suppose music to other people but then as well like it's so cool hearing like the stories about that stuff and i think whether it be from someone who really likes it or whether it be someone who is actively involved with it like it's it's real that that's the thing that yeah that was a big thing that always i loved about playing in bands and playing music is like you know playing it's fun and doing tours is fun and traveling is fun and you know for me getting drunk at shows my friends is really fun but at the same time like (laughs) part of the coolest shit about doing this stuff is like nerding out with someone about a record and like talking to them about a band and why you like a band and why you like a record. So like hearing that to the, to the scale of like Roadrunner stuff is fucking awesome for me because yeah, like I said, I mean the way that I went through that, I I guess when it first started with getting the Roadrunner catalogs, they were always at the back. They'd be like a back insert of magazines and you just, you'd rip tear off like a card and aim and mail it to an address and you'd tick the cds that you wanted and i remember when i would look at the cds like a lot of people at the time i'd just pick the ones that had cool covers or band names that were cool or photos that like the promo photo was brutal like that's how i got into type of negative was like oh these guys look so scary <laughs> like <laughs> like and like and then similarly like a lot of that other stuff was like you know, I'd buy the, I'd get the record, look at the liner notes, see all the bands that they thanked, and then go back to the Roadrunner catalog and tick all those ones off. And then that was the next set of CDs, you know? Yeah, I was lucky that I had a CD store by my house that they would get all of the Roadrunner albums. I mean, I'm sure it was other labels too, but this was the what I was focused on. Yeah, They would get like the advanced promo copies. And instead of playing them in the store or mm. doing whatever they were supposed to do with them. They would just put them in their used bin for a dollar. Oh yeah. So I would get just all of those, or I even tell uh, the Shank 456 interview, I tell him I got it from one of those scams where you get the 10 CDs for a penny and then oh, yeah. never pay for it in Columbia house or whatever. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I can definitely relate to that and I can definitely relate to, I mean, that's what I like listening to your show for, you know, I was listening to the episode with uh, Danny Chalmers and you mm. guys are talking about Hanson and that might be like a corny thing to somebody, but you yeah. can tell that that was like an important record for her. And so that yeah. makes me invested in it and made me want to go listen to the middle of nowhere, which I have the cassette of and definitely busted out after listening to that episode. Well, that, and that's, that's part of why, like when I like with, so, I mean, Danny used to work at the record label for the, the band, the label that my band was on. And so we know each other really well. And, but it's a, you know, it's a hardcore metal label. And so, but when you talk to someone and you say like, what record do you want to listen to? And they come back and say, oh, Hanson. For me, that's like, that's awesome. Like, that's what I want because, and same, like when you said, you know, let's do this kitty record, like, great. Because that's not you know it's it's all well and good to pick the most popular metal record or the most popular record of 
that you would be associated with but similar like you know when asking you i was like well why don't we try and do one that's not a roadrunner record then so then oh god and i was so excited to not talk about roadrunner <laughs> for sure i mean i love it obviously but it's it's almost become well i'm sure like actually i'm not sure with you because you do these so uh casually i admire i'm, I'm jealous of your freedom the way you do it i have to like <laughs> crank one out every week but um you know, it becomes a little bit uh, of a, I don't want to say a job because it's never to the point where I'm not enjoying doing it, mm. but I do feel certain obligation. And, you know, I've kind of like locked myself into this timeline. So, you know, uh, sometimes people don't have the availability that I need, but yeah, I originally wanted to do, uh, you may remember the Veronica's album. Yeah. Yeah. And, but when I saw that Danny did Hanson, I was like, well, I don't want this to become like an ironic pop show for <laughs> Aaron, you know, like I, I don't want to do that. So, you know, there's plenty of non funny things that we can talk about. But yeah, oh, I mean, I, I think the the thing for me with with all this stuff, though, it's like it's like doing doing a record like a, like a Hanson record. And I mean, like we certainly talked about it on there. Like I listened to, I, when I went back and listened to that, I was like, there's songs on this now that I like now as an adult that I definitely didn't know were Hanson songs. <laughs> like, I'm like, there's two songs off that that have entered into a, you know, like playlist that I listen to just casually now. <laughs> and like, I never would have thought that I would have done that. So that's another cool part about doing stuff like this for me is like developing that, I guess, music sense further. And I think, I think the other thing too is like an adult, or at least certainly for me, definitely when I was like a kid, I, you know, went through phases like any kid does and, you know, certainly there was a time in my life where I was like, fuck new metal, fucking hate new metal. That's, you know, for losers or whatever. And then like, I don't know, when I w gained like adult brain sense, I was like, <laughs> why do I care what people think? Like, if I like this song, I'm going to like it, you know? <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah. The pretense is gone, right? You're not worried about what other people are going to think because you're not trying to fit into a peer group because yeah. you're an adult now and you know that everybody is a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> And everyone is dumb, so who cares? Like right. <laughs> Nobody knows anything. Yeah, I used to, I guess when I was younger, I kind of felt that way a little bit. I mean, I never felt like that about new Metal specifically, but I remember that, you know, I still was into pop music. I had Hanson, Middle of Nowhere, hmm. 97. I had the the NSYNC tapes and stuff like that. And I remember thinking like, oh, I hope nobody knows that I got yeah, these yeah. next to the, the corn cassette, you know? Yeah. <laughs> or even, I remember a big thing for me which is funny now as an adult because obviously universally his music maybe not his person is is adored is i had the michael jackson dangerous cassette i'm so glad like, you oh, brought man. up michael jackson before i had to but keep going <laughs> I, want, I didn't want people i was like oh man you know he he's not he's not rock and roll you know yeah. what I mean? but like you know now i realize as an adult that not only is he you know everybody loves michael jackson Violent J of uh, Insane Clown Posse, his favorite musical artist is as uh, Michael Jackson. I mean, and uh, okay, like we, with all with all uh, you know pretense to this as well. Obviously, I like Michael Jackson's music. I'm not sure. I'm not. A, I'm not a fan <laughs> of his behavior, clearly. But I mean, for me, that was the first concert I ever went to. The first show I ever went to was seeing Michael Jackson, and that was oh, like, wow. and it was in Taiwan. I was a I was a actual child, and I went and saw him, and it also kind of ruined music going experiences for me because the first concert I ever went to was like in like a corporate box in a stadium, so it was like <laughs> like a real ritzy way to go to your first show. But like he flew into the stadium on a fucking helicopter to his own show, and I like 
I just remember being like, after that as a kid, like, I love music. Like, that, I love music now. I, this was, I saw this spectacle. It, like, changed everything in my head about music. And then for years, I, like, love, obviously still love the music, still love it now, but loved it so much that when I was getting into, like, I guess probably, like, deep death metal phase of my life, I definitely was, like, hiding the fact that I liked Michael Jackson from people because <laughs> right. I was like, I don't want all these guys to know, like, I got hair down to my ass. I'm only wearing black clothes. I don't want people to know that, like, the thing I love the most that brought me into this is, like, I could get so teased for that. But, like, you know, obviously now I'm not so much advertising my love for Michael Jackson anymore. But at the same time, like, I mean, that changed that changed the game for me, as a, you know, as a kid. And, like, I think the other thing, too, is particularly where I grew up, like, Michael Jackson, if he's big anywhere, he's fucking enormous in China. Like, and and I like I don't know, but at the time that that tour that I saw, I I saw him on the history tour, and that tour was, I think at the time it was like the best selling tour of all time. Like every show sold out. The tour went for like four years because it was just like, you know. He would sell out every stadium multiple days in every major city in the whole world. So it took forever to get through the tour. But I think when I saw him was sort of like halfway through the tour and the tour had was at such an insane magnitude of like, yeah, he flew in on a helicopter and then he burst out through the stage in a spaceship <laughs> and then like <laughs> a tank rolls on the stage at one point. And like, you know, it's a huge spectacle, but, but all that stuff like... That was what, like, dove me right into, like, oh, I love music now, you know. And still to this day, it's something that I, th I think about that stuff all the time. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah. I, well, I can definitely understand that. One of the first bands I ever saw, which ended up being one of my favorite bands in my lifetime, was this band called Two Skinny Jays. Mm -hmm. And I was maybe, like, I don't know, 10, 11 years old when I saw them. And they were a, I don't want to say a rap rock band, but they were certainly a a rap band that had live instruments, right? Sure. They didn't, wasn't really distortion on the guitar and probably closer to De La Soul than they were to Limp Bizkit. But, mm -hmm. um, but they had a whole thing, like they had costumes and they had dance routines and like, you know, sometimes they would come out in like spacesuits and stuff. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is like what music is. This yeah. is going to be what I want to be involved in. So I can definitely understand that. And then going completely around with the new metal aspect of it, Michael Jackson's Thriller has like, I don't know, seven number one singles. Yeah. The only song on there that's a single that didn't go number one was Smooth Criminal. So arguably, Alien Ant Farm's Smooth Criminal, more popular than Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal. Yeah. One could say that Alien Ant Farm is who made Smooth Criminal <laughs> huge. Yeah. And the guitar player for Alien Ant Farm Terry Corso, mm -hmm. as you know, I don't got to tell you, mm -hmm. <laughs> was in Power Man 5000, briefly. Yep. That, I mean, I saw Alien Ant Farm came here on the obviously on the release of their very successful music video for, for Smooth Criminal. They played at a skate park. In, I, 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 like, I don't know if they even did a tour at the time. I think maybe they just came here to like promote smooth criminal like it was so big even in australia that that it, they came here to like promote it and they played a show at a skate park in canberra 
and they played like literally in the middle of a half pipe. Like that was where the band played. Like not, they didn't set up a stage for them. They just like put them in the half pipe and like kind of roped it off. And uh, like, this was a long time ago now, obviously, but I, and so I don't know if like, I'm sort of confusing it in my head or inflating it in my head, but I remember it being like the most people I had ever seen at a skate park (laughs) to see this band essentially play one song. (laughs) Like, and I don't know that anyone knew any of their other music at the time. There was one other kind of big single off that record, I feel like, or like another song that got on the radio, I guess. But like yeah, movies, movies okay, was yeah, a yeah. big song. Yeah, which still, which also had the monkey in it, right? The monkey? Oh, you're talking about from the Smooth Criminal video? Yeah. Well, they had they multiple. Linked, right? They had multiple videos for movies because movies was actually released before and after Smooth Criminal. Okay. So they released a video for movies. It does eh, all right. They released Smooth Criminal. It's bigger than Michael Jackson. Yep. And then so they release a new version of movies that does have yes the uh, the monkey. Yeah. Either way, I'm relatively certain the show was literally two songs and it was like (laughs) a thousand people in a skate park to see this band play two songs and everyone went wild and it was like, that was it. That was all everyone wanted. It was cool. We we went, we saw the two songs and then they left. And I like, that's why I'm fairly certain maybe it wasn't a tour to play music. Like it was like a promotional tour that they just happened to organize that for. But it was, yeah, truly, truly wild. So that doesn't surprise me that their version of Smooth Criminal is bigger than Michael Jackson's. <laughs> well, you know what, too? Going back to what we were talking about earlier, they were signed by uh, Jacoby Shaddix of Papa Roach, who wow. took them on tour. So maybe maybe the, the new metal community was more tight-knit than we're giving it credit yeah. for now that I'm thinking back. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think pr- probably, as I mentioned before, I think probably my misconception with that is more that Certainly in Australia, the um, the immediate exposure to those bands only came from, you know, them coming here and doing big package tours with other like bands. Obviously, this is the other side of the world, so it's very expensive to get here. So, I understand why bands do that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, I think even in, even in more recent years, though, a lot of those bigger bands have been coming here with considerably considerably smaller bands opening for them now which is much different to what it was 10 or 15 years ago i suppose were there australian new metal bands that were really popular in australia yes um and quite a lot of them would actually get like even uh some of them would do tours with those bands too like i mean they'd be the opening band but they'd get they'd get on those tours like there was a band from here called Sunk Lotto and they did a full Corn tour. It was like Corn, Fear Factory and them, I think, which would have been like enormous for them to do a tour with Corn and Fear Factory. Um, and then, yeah, there was, a bu- there was a bunch of bands that were around that same era. The only stuff, the, the thing with a lot of those bands here is that a lot of those guys in the new, in new metal bands here came out of being kind of older um kind of older guys that had been in like maybe either big death metal bands or been in thrash bands or something like that and i guess maybe the perception is here that they were trying to angle towards pop music essentially like and some of the bands that got kind of big in that scene um yeah either came out of like 
previously having been in a hardcore band or being in a punk band or a metal band or something and then they sort of diverted and became a new metal band another band that did had a really big single here was a band called 28 days and this i mean the singer was a rapper and that that they prior to their big song with him rapping and that being like a heavy focus of it were far more associated with like punk and hardcore in australia and then they had a song with him rapping on it and it had you know scratching and stuff and then then they go on to be like the australian limp biscuit essentially like so it it blew up here just as well but i think obviously it was it was taking it from the cues of america essentially but we're 28 days on neighbors um I mean, probably at some point. <laughs> like, <laughs> were Alien Ant Farm on Neighbors? Was that part of their? <laughs> I mean, maybe <laughs> that that seems far more likely. Got to get the boys in. Got to get them into Neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason why I even know what Neighbors is is because Natalie Imbruglia was on it. Yep. And uh, when I was younger, I was in a band and we did a talk show that Zach Galifianakis hosted. I think it lasted like three episodes. It was called. <laughs> The Zach Galifianakis show. Yeah. And uh, so we were the musical guest and Natalie Imbruglia was going to be on the show. And I was like, wow, that's crazy because she should probably be the musical guest because she's an actual singer. <laughs> um, but not only was she not the musical guest, she didn't even film her part in the studio. I never even got to meet Natalie Imbruglia. Uh, damn it. They did some like weird, like giant staircase thing. I remember that they did their interview on top of a giant moving staircase. And I had to watch that on the screen and i was like i thought we were gonna meet natalie i was gonna well, ask her about neighbors i mean pretty much any famous australian actor that you know has either been on neighbors or another show called home and away which is essentially i'd probably get grief for this but it's essentially the same show it's a you know <laughs> a, a, like a daytime soap opera but both of those shows in australia air at nighttime but they are that's the vibe of those shows do you ever watch uh, married at first sight australia oh yeah and I know a couple of people who've been on it. What? Yes. Oh, you need to link me with that. that we need to have a, a group meeting with them. <laughs> so Married at First Sight is one of my favorite shows uh, across the board. And I just recently got exposed to Married at First Sight Australia because I guess in the pandemic, they couldn't record new mm -hmm. episodes of it, even though new ones are coming out now. So I don't know what changed where they decided <laughs> that it was fine. So they would air the Australian ones because they had those, you know, in the, in the, in the tank. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And uh, so that's like the best of both worlds for me. I get Australians and I get Married at First Sight. But the Married at First Sight Australia is so much more bonkers than the U.S. one, which is ridiculous because the U.S. one should be crazier because we're more ridiculous human <laughs> beings. But the uh, the experts on the Australia show will just be like, so like these two people will be like, yeah, we hate each other. And they'll be like, oh, you know, that's very interesting. Like they have no like, actual like <laughs> advice to offer. And also, I guess on the Australian version, um, there's like a dinner party, like a weekly mm. dinner party they all go to. And that seems to be where most of the conflict and turmoil generates yeah. from. So if they're truly trying to help these people find love, I would probably cut the dinner party portion. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's where all the writings are coming from. You got to keep that coming through. It uh, That show is huge here, too. Like it's oh, is it? It's like it takes over society when it's on. <laughs> oh man, I wish I wish Married at First Sight would take over society in the U.S. <laughs> because it's such a. Not only is it such a like I don't want to say underground because I mean obviously it's big enough that they keep on making them, but it's obviously like low budget too. Like I remember I'll be watching it and like this guy will have like razor burn on his neck and it's like yo you don't have a makeup department to handle this as <laughs> a television show. <laughs> 
Um, and uh, and they just keep on adding more and more couples every season. And like one season, the one of the experts ended up dating one of the contestants, so she got kicked off the show, and that was like a big thing. But any of those shows, like Married at First Sight, um, Ninety Day Fiance. There's one called Love After Lockup that I'm mm-hmm. real into, where it's like people get out of prison and then yep. immediately go into a relationship. <laughs> that one's really good. Uh, there used to be one called Spouse House, which was the most insane, but I guess it was too crazy to even last more than one season. So it'd be 10 people living in a house, and every week there had to be a proposal, a marriage proposal. Uh-huh. And if somebody didn't propose, they would just kick two people off and then replace them with two more people. <laughs> It was I, insane. I, I love that surely that show as well was developed by someone just going, what's a cool name for a TV show? Spouse House. Okay. <laughs> Work backwards from Spouse House. What What is it? Like- <laughs> but my favorite show in general, which I know they have in Australia, is Big Brother. Yes. Also and know someone who's been on Big Brother. Was it Crafter from? <laughs> I, well, I, I, I know I know Crafter, but uh, not. I, I know. Well, sorry, I know two people who've been on Big Brother because I know Crafter as well. <laughs> I think technically Crafter was on Celebrity Big Brother because they use that term loosely over there, just like over here. Yes. Oh, I don't know. Maybe he was vo- he. The, uh, well, and I mean, he can text me and tell me otherwise. But um, he was essentially he essentially got on that show by like the hardcore scene voting him in like he was a he had to get voted in so i don't think he was on a celebrity one i think he was on just normal big brother and at the time he ran a website that had a big a popular message board on it and myself and most people who were involved with the australian hardcore scene at the time were active participants on this message board and he was one of those people that got like voted in and it was like a crowd, like crowdsourced getting him onto TV essentially. And I'm relatively certain that the whole way it came about was because of, you know, our, the message board essentially all worked together to push him onto the TV show. He was only on there for like a week though. He was like one of the most short-lived Big Brother housemates of all time. <laughs> I do remember that being like a thing. And I... Uh... You know, here, that doesn't exist where you vote, <laughs> vote yeah. people in because democracy died here a long time ago. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it was crazy at the time being like everyone being like, holy shit, there's a person we know is on TV every day. And then he left. And I remember at the time it being like publicly, it was like very dramatic that he left the show. But then everyone knew that he just left the show because... I killed the prom queen booked a tour. So he like, he just left to go to a tour basically. <laughs> I remember, uh, he used to be my outgoing voicemail because, uh, <laughs> that's great. Because I thought he was so like incoherent that I couldn't understand anything he said, but you that know, I killed the prom queen were so huge in Australia. Yes. And when they played here, they played a bookstore. Oh yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I still have my, uh, what was it? When Goodbye Means Forever? Was mm-hmm. that the name of the, the record yep. that he was on? And uh, it's autographed by X Crafter X. And yeah, he was my outgoing voicemail. And then if I remember correctly, all the It Dies Today guys copied me because they were like, oh, that is a funny idea to have this. What was the that, voicemail? You know, Just him talking? I don't know. I couldn't understand <laughs> what he said. 
Okay. I think it was just like standard voicemail stuff like you've reached Ryan's phone, please leave a message, blah, blah, blah. And then I think maybe something about a snake. But uh makes sense. I couldn't understand him. That was my thing. And then I, and again, I love Australians. I'm but he has I assume what would be considered like a cockney Australian accent. Like he's a little bit more like yeah. aggressively Australian in the in the voice. Yeah, in the delivery. And I mean he's from like a, a part of Australia that fits with that um that ethos, I suppose. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I love that the uh, the interest in Australia runs so deep to you that it was your voicemail message at some point. That's that's a great thing. Yeah, and that was out. like, well, and also at the time, a big thing for me was I thought for years, well, first of all, I loved the Veronicas, mm-hmm. right? So that was my intro into like, okay, I love Australia. And then I was into I Killed the Prom Queen. And then I thought for my whole young adult life that S Club 7 were from Australia. Okay. And they are actually from the UK. They are. That is correct. Which I don't like. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I've seen the, I've seen S Club 7 a few times when they've come here. But oh, wow. the funny thing about S Club 7 is- A few times. I have. I've, I think I've seen them twice. And, wow. But both times, the number has changed. Because the band has gotten smaller. So, I think right. the first time I saw them, I think it was S Club 5. And then oh, wow. now they're just S Club because I think there's only three of them. <laughs> and, like, pretty sure I saw them on both both uh, 5 and abbreviated S Club. But, yeah, it's a size they had see. They had the various TV shows like S Club 7 in Miami and yes. S Club 7. And, um, and I, the biggest thing about S Club 7... And I think this is a good note to end on is mm. that they had that lyric in the song S Club Party that says, Hoochie Mamas, show your nanas. And that was on the radio. <laughs> that was on like Radio Disney. Give these people a child's TV show. That's all I yeah, can think. Give when them I hear several <laughs> children's TV shows. Uh, all right. Well. Let's uh let's wrap up the podcast there because no finer point to end on than uh, S Club Seven chat. Um, thank you very much for talking to me about uh, the Kitty record, but also about your podcast and about your interests in Australia. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, thank you for telling me about you being a, a communist from China that uh, has been slowly indoctrinating the Australian people <laughs> by not only voting a cockney australian into the big brother house <laughs> but also <laughs> infiltrating the dinner party of the married at first sight cast as well so uh, but no this is a lot of fun man like i said i love not doing other people's podcasts but i definitely wanted to do yours mr looters uh yeah gives you a high endorsement so i had to had to do it good on him thank you both for linking this up then <laughs> appreciate it <laughs> Thanks, mate. Yes, he's to blame. Anybody that did not enjoy it, please direct all <laughs> of your complaints to twitch.com slash uh, bowsxe. Yep. Get at him. 